0: You're listening to Bits of Me, the podcast about women's bodies, all the things we should know about them, and all the stories behind them. In this episode, I talk to Gillian Roddy, an innovation programme manager, learning specialist, and mother of two. Gillian is perhaps best known as the genius behind the former Science Snaps account, now evidentially you, on Instagram. But in this episode, we talk about something entirely different, namely body image, disordered eating diastasis recti, ageing and beauty treatments. Can you use Botox and still call yourself a feminist? We try to figure that out. So I feel like it's probably almost criminal to have Gillian Roddy of (laughs) Instagram fame, sign snaps, evidentially you, on here and not talk about you know biology contraception hormones all this stuff that you know loads about but we're not going to be talking about science we're going to be talking about you
1: that's okay <laughs>
0: it's yeah that's okay i get excited about science but not everybody else does <laughs> <laughs> the listeners might be like what ask her about this and that but you know you'll come back for that um i want you to start by telling me about growing up uh in what you would have described as an athletic body, I suppose, and uh, picking up weightlifting and all that that entailed in terms of body image and diets and all that mm. stuff.
1: Of course, um, I suppose I, I have to. I learned my lesson on this one a, a couple of times um, with Instagram. And, and I have to preface this by saying that the stories that I tell are from the perspective of somebody with straight size privilege. Hmm. so when I talk about my body, I have to acknowledge that all of my experiences are are coming from that perspective that I don't necessarily what i the stories I tell are not necessarily encompassing everybody's experience so absolutely I'm just yeah. saying that from the outset yeah you know, I it's, know it's to 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 acknowledge that I am aware of that um so yeah i had I've always had a very complicated relationship with my body always um I grew up in a house where and and I have to be so careful and I say these things and I say these things about my mom with nothing but love and compassion and kindness because she is my mom and I adore her but she would be very much the kind of person who grew who would have used the phrase I'll be happy when I lose the last three pounds that was sort of a mantra you know it was it was but she was symptomatic of I'd say most women of that generation Mm. and certainly the generation before her, Mm. um, that a woman's body and her aesthetic was one of the best things that she had going for her. And it was her responsibility to look after that. Um, and so from a very young age, weight was talked about a lot. I was, I signed up to Weight Watchers for the first time when I was 14. Um, and so from my very early teens, I was involved in dieting cycles. I mean, like the majority of young women who look at their bodies and don't like what they see, I was bananas to be thinking the way I was. You know, we, we look back at the photos and you go, what was I, what did I even think? Mm. Um, I was as run of the mill as, as you could get, But it's true to say <laughs> that I was definitely on the larger size of average um, and even now I would be very much in the mid-size category mm. um and I played a lot of sports Um, did I play a lot of sport because I was because I enjoyed it or because I was told to so the other thing I, I was I, I was always told that I had good childbearing hips. <laughs> you know. I was I, that was good I was just it, I had good childbearing hips I had wide hips yeah but it was spun as a positive you know they're childbearing hips um you know I was I started doing weights when I was about 16 because that was something that I quickly learned that I was quite good at plus I was so body conscious actually I remember now that I'm thinking about it one of the big reasons why I really didn't want to play hockey outfield was because I hated wearing the skirts I had just hated my legs so much mm. that I just couldn't tolerate the thought of, of wearing one of the skirts. So um, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit here, but there is one story that I'll tell. I remember being outside our assembly hall. I would have been about 15, 16. And one of the boys in my year um, came over and said to me, and he said this very, with a very straight face and he meant it. And um, he said, "Jill, listen, I just wanted to chat with you. What weights do you do to get your legs to look so big? Because I'm trying to train up for rugby. And he meant it in all sincerity. And he meant it yeah. in a slightly complimentary way. But, you know, so no matter what, it kept getting reinforced to me that I was this, you know, athletic, sturdy girl. You know, mm. when I was in sixth year for, for, for our, you know, sixth year yearbook, I think I got voted, you know, best jock. I was that athletic, Mm. tomboy kind of person that carried through the whole way through adulthood. And, you know, I left school, dropped sports almost entirely until later in my 20s when I discovered sort of my mid 20s, I discovered the gym in college because I was doing my post-grad and I discovered that the gym was free and so I started to go on the encouragement of one of my male friends and just loved it Mm. and one of the instructors came over to me one day and said again with a very straight face and with all sincerity said you're a little bit of a freak and have you ever thought about doing this more so I said why okay great thanks thanks yeah exactly so yeah there's this series of backhanded compliments you know along the way um, and when I was about 27, I got involved in powerlifting and um, yeah, went to my first national competition and, and did really well. Now, this is back at late 2000s. So it was still, this is before Gymshark, you know, this is before, this is still at a time when women in weights areas was still a rarity. Mm-hmm. So my my pool was small. I was a big fish in a very small pond, but I still did well. And I got a few national and international records and then moved from powerlifting into weightlifting, Olympic weightlifting. So lifting heavy things was a very prominent part of my 20s. Um, loved it. And I suppose in those circles as well, I was kind of, my, my body was accepted in a different way. You know, I didn't have to be um, wearing short skirts or or looking a certain way, that my sturdy legs were seen as a great positive because Mm. they were seen as strong, you know, they were of great value. Yeah. Um and, and so my body was seen in a different way and it was really nice to be in those circles and and be accepted like that.
0: What was your relationship with food around that time? Like how did you because you were talking about previous to that uh dieting and going to meetings and stuff. Great question. So it was it 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 both improved
1: and made worse my relationship with food. Um I I had probably had a relatively poor relationship with food for a number of years I don't know the exact timelines I wouldn't be able to put dates on it but I know that at one point I attended a Bodywise meeting because I was you know I, I knew that there was something wrong and um, with the, the patterns of eating that I was exhibiting I would have tried every diet under the sun you name it I've tried it um, and much like the message that I grew up with I knew that I'd be happy when I lost those last few pounds so mm. I was always striving for something um, and I food became something to worry about, to think far too much about. And then when I started lifting heavy things, now all of a sudden food took on a new role. Food was fuel. Food was yeah. something that was going to help me attain my goals. But it was also an excuse to... Those those goals were also an excuse to eat. And, and I would have had... Um, issues around um, binge eating and occasional bulimic behaviors Mm. Um, and so weightlifting and powerlifting and being at the gym all the time did feed into that to a certain extent and certainly it did in the sense that we had to get weighed before competition and so you, you competed in weight classes so now yeah When I was about to get out on stage, you know, and be awesome and do, you know, lift heavy things, there was always this undercurrent of am I good enough when I step on the scales before I ever get near the platform, before I ever Mm -hmm. try to be strong. And so... There was this new cycle that I embarked on, you know, eating and eating and eating to get strong and stronger and stronger, but then also having to discover a way to keep that weight under control because I was going to have to stand on the scales in front of a room full of people and they would all know Mm. how much I weighed. And so there was this really strange juxtaposition of of feelings and thoughts around us. And I remember when I was weightlifting and when I was competing, I, I was... I, I put this hugely heavy emphasis on my physical appearance in terms of the things that I control. I used to get my nails done right before a competition. There's actually, there's a really lovely, there's one of the competitions I did, there was an Irish Times, they used to do photo stories and a photographer and a journalist came out and there's this sequence of gorgeous photos from one of our competitions and there's this up-close photograph of my hands with perfectly manicured French manicure and covered in in chalk and it's it's gorgeous and that was for me that was just a great encapsulation of how I I saw myself as a weightlifter you know on the one hand I had this long bleached blonde hair with the perfectly manicured nails Mm. but behind it all I was really struggling sometimes with the relationship that I had with food
0: Mm. so fast forward then to the week before your wedding day and breaking a few bones <laughs> that week that yeah. you do
1: <laughs> yeah so so I remember we had my my husband Pete and I before we got married we decided um on my gentle suggestion it was about 6 m- months beforehand we were at another friend's wedding and I said come on do you know what let's let's get a trainer. Let's let's look our absolute best. You know, got into the the the, you know losing weight for a wedding cycle. Yeah. Um and he was very reluctant in the beginning to be fair to him but we had started to train together and we were working out and trying to trying to lose weight in in um, advance of the wedding and so the week before the wedding um, we were with friends and uh, I fell over and I broke both of the bones the tibia and the fibula in my right leg Hmm. so cutting a very long story short had surgery Reset the bone, big titanium rods, and the following weekend I got married in a wheelchair. Um, <laughs> don't remember a lot of it, but it was good fun. <laughs> but it did mean that I went from being this highly active person. I was doing 5K runs twice or three times a week. I was in the gym twice or three times a week to nothing absolutely nothing. Mm. I mean I was showering sitting down in this shower basin and I remember genuinely wondering was I ever going to be able to stand on my own two feet again. Mm. Um but you know you're newly newlyweds and there's you know one of you is, is strictly um is off their feet you know what do you do you get pregnant. Mm. Um so I got pregnant a month after getting married 5 weeks after getting um breaking my leg and so that's set in, in, in motion, a whole new set of interesting um, circumstances.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. So I was going into pregnancy with some really strange unknowns around how I was feeling about my body and just kind of had no choice but to sit back and watch what was happening. But I think that the because I'd been so kind of high activity beforehand, my body reacted pretty well to the pregnancy and everything was relatively straightforward. Um, Stark contrast to my second pregnancy. Now, in fairness, the second pregnancy was, was relatively straightforward, but in terms of how I saw my body, it just, gosh, it just got so big, just got so, so, so big. And it was, and I remember feeling, especially after having my second birth, really struggling really really struggling with what was happening to my body because this was in none of the antenatal classes yeah you know? like that that first and I know you you hate that phrase as well bounce back that yes bounce back that happens I do let's <laughs> bounce back bounce back mm. your pre-pregnancy body yeah Mm hmm. um bounce back relatively okay the first time around second time around well it's three and a half years later and any day now it's going to happen any mm. day <laughs>
0: So you, you develop diastasis recti. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Do you want to explain what that means?
1: Yeah, so um diastasis recti is when so as your your belly is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, it's it's putting the uterus, as the baby's growing inside it, it's putting pressure on you. And apologies to any physiotherapist like they're listening to this particularly <laughs> You know, hack handed way of explaining this, um, as you're as the as the baby is growing in the uterus, it's it's essentially pushing out your abs further and further and further, and sometimes, well, they will naturally there will be a kind of a, a bit of a separation, but sometimes the the abs can really properly just pull apart, and after you've had the baby, um, you can have. S- abs that don't, re, they don't knit back together again properly. Mm. So there's a separation. And it's very commonly found in, in pregnant women, especially um after their second or third pregnancies. So what I found was that I knew fairly quickly after having my second birth, I knew that things were, things weren't coming back together, they would have done before. And I went to see a postnatal physiotherapist and it was because re- I was listening to when Sarah Sproul was talking to you, I was listening to that so intently about just the lack of provision of postnatal care around women, yeah. like around incontinence and around um, physio issues and, and um, pelvic issues. And yeah, I had to go and see a, a specialist, a physio And it's, it's not cheap Like it really nope. isn't cheap It's care that you have to go out and seek for yourself mm. um, And there's really in Dublin There's one specialist really that are The ones that are constantly reco- The Milltown specialist Yeah, exactly constantly recommended They're amazing, they're amazing care Again, because it's not talked about I went in not having a clue That I was going to get fingers into my vagina that morning I hadn't <laughs> a clue
0: It's a funny conversation, isn't it, that you have with somebody about like politics and the weather and your holidays while they are feeling the insides of your vagina.
1: I remember having a talk about... What were we talking about? We were talking about the Irish rugby team. Because it was around November and it was when this the autumn series was on. And we were talking about the Irish rugby team. And I'm sitting there going, this is really strange. But there you go. I, I went to as many sessions as I could afford. And then sort of said, oh, okay, well, you know, I've come this far. I'll try and do... I'll try and look after myself. So to this day, I'm pretty sure things haven't knitted back properly. Mm. I know they haven't because... One of the sort of the side effects, if you want to call it about having diastasis recti, having those separated abs is that the shape of your tummy changes completely. You get what we call that that mom pooch, that, Mm -hmm. that sort of overhang belly part that even if the rest of you is is sort of you know looking slimmer than than you would have done when you were pregnant you still have that that overhang of, of skin that just doesn't seem no matter how much you you diet or whatever you do or even if you don't diet it just looks different mm. my hanging outy tummy combined with that stretched skin that mm. again I just hadn't realized was going to look the way it was um stretchy overhangy skin you mm. know I had a mum-tum, and you sort of hear about these things in uh, from a distance, mm. but I wasn't ready for it. Um, and so it means that when I have days when I'm really struggling to accept what my body looks like, it's I can get very angry because... Where's the normalization of this? I, I, there was no representation of any of this
0: mm.
1: on social media, in mainstream media. It's beginning to happen a little bit.
0: Yeah, no, it is.
1: It is. But you you still have to, you know, go out and actively seek it, you know, mm. or make sure that your algorithm identifies these types of, uh, you know, these types of accounts. Because it's not going to be there unless you've you've shown an interest in it
0: no and let's be honest the huge majority of is of it is still talking about that bouncing back thing of these are the ways in which you can train so that you look like you didn't give birth you know
1: absolutely but absolutely and that is still very much the narrative in the mainstream, you know, it's still talking about getting your pre-pregnancy body back and getting this back and getting that back. And even on, on Pinterest or all of the social media accounts, they still talk about that. The mom pooch or the, the mom pooch, the mum tom, whatever it is, and how to get rid of us. Mm. I have lost a huge amount of confidence in the body that I inhabit. And it absolutely has stopped me from doing certain things. It sounds like, and it's, it's, it's awful because even as I'm saying it out loud, it sounds so frivolous and meaningless when, when we've got so much else, you know, going on, but at the same time, I know there's been times that, um, it's certainly changed the way I see myself in front of my husband Um, like it's affected that element too, Mm -hmm. you know, carefree, wild abandon of throwing clothes off, (laughs) you know, the the kind of activity that led me to get pregnant in the first place. Albeit when I was on crutches, that was interesting. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I don't, I don't have the ability to do that anymore because I'm so conscious of Mm. how I look having had the babies. And so there's, I have sort of hit that space in life now where I'm, I'm 40. I, the greys are coming thick and fast my my relationship with my body is on a is on a sharp decline. I there's this other piece around accepting that that I'm at that age now where that's it. The the pendulum swings in a different direction now or the seesaws is upended, whatever way you want but to it's, look at it.
0: It's interesting,
1: I think that's, that you're
0: you find that you need to mention your straight size privilege, which is fair enough, and I think, you know, absolutely you should, and we should mention that. But at the same time, we're almost shamed for feeling the way we do. Like you're meant to just mm. kind of get on with it and accept your body and not, you know, it's shallow mm. to care. Um, and at the same time, we're constantly getting these messages about you should care and you're not good enough. Um, yeah. So, you yeah. know, you're going from being this athletic weightlifter, having had issues with food and all this kind of stuff um, to ending up in a, wheelchair and giving birth all these different things and then aging on top of it and you're meant to just Mm. you know sit down and be quiet and happy about it yep yeah Mm. I mean there's there's no there's
1: very little I I really struggle to see anybody now in mainstream media that tells a story that I can relate to Mm. it's um I am somebody who Will pass by the I can walk down a road without getting a second glance, which is now <laughs> kind of hurts. Aww. Now I used to get the glances every so often. You, you don't great, notice until they're gone. <laughs> you really don't notice them. Till I miss them. I'm not saying catcalling. I'm don't. I don't want to be catcalled. You know. I don't want to get the random. <laughs> you know. Sophisticated Glance looks. or two. I do miss them. <gasps>
0: So you did um, a few stories and polls recently that were quite interesting on Instagram about body hair and Botox and all that kind of stuff. What was the reaction to that?
1: So there's the response is without fail, it falls into mainstream views. Yeah. No matter what we talk about, you know, we can talk about feminist, feminist ideologies. We can talk about, you know, challenging perceptions. We can talk about all sorts of different things. But when it comes to people's personal experiences, the only frameworks that most people really have to go on are the ones that we've been fed. Mm -hmm. And that's totally understandable. You know, so... I asked people recently how many people shave their legs or, you know, remove their underhair, um, underarm body hair. Is that the right phrase? Underarm body hair. Yes it is. Yeah. Um yeah. So, you know, the vast, vast majority of people um removed both. Certainly more yeah. people removed their leg hair than they did their underarm hair, which is I think that's that makes a little bit of sense um but any of the feedback that I got wasn't really challenging this it was oh I, I, you know you asked about shaving but actually I wax you know and it wasn't um yeah. it wasn't disagreeing with anything. it was like, well of course we shave our hair you know of course we remove our hair it wasn't questioning yeah. it and to be fair that wasn't how I posed it I just posed it as a yes or no question yeah um and Botox is a different one. I remember talking about Botox about a year ago. Yeah, to be last summer, mm. you know, before all of you know, waving my hands expansively. <laughs> this before the world started, fell apart. Before <laughs> this. Um, and I started talking about how so I was it was when I was 39 and my 40th birthday was coming up, and that I thought I really wanted to get Botox. Mm. And I did get Gosh, I got one very angry person getting in touch with me saying, how dare I consider injecting toxin like that into my face? So Mm. you do get, you know, one or two just downright strange responses. Mm. And I did get a couple of responses from people, you know, saying, well, you know, you're always talking about feminism and is this not going against that? Um, And so I did get the Botox, but Mm. I didn't talk about it for a very very okay. long time mm. because it was one thing for me to talk about getting botox in a very high level pie in the sky yeah i think i'm gonna do this mm. type of a way it was something else entirely for me to come onto screen on my on, on my phone and say yeah had it done i'm admitting it um and you know whether that was right or wrong with me i don't know but i know that it it, it certainly took me a very long time to be comfortable Owning I suppose The fact that I'd had Botox The gas thing is though Is that uh, I really don't have any sh- Feelings of shame Attached to it jesus mm-hmm. I tell everybody You know Who wants to listen to it Now at this point um, I suppose that, Now this is going to sound like I know what I'm talking about And I really don't um, <laughs> I did do a bit of reading about it Because I was curious to know You know what was being said Around Botox and feminism mm-hmm. And it's about the earliest conversations around Botox started. It was Naomi Wolf. Um, it was yeah. the, the the beauty myth. You know, she starts talking, to be fair, she doesn't really talk specifically about Botox, more about cosmetic surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and largely vehemently declared that cosmetic surgery was not a, a, a feminist behavior. Um, and it's, it's moved on since then. And the more I read... The more I realized that asking a woman if she thinks that it's whether it's feminist or not to get Botox is a really very unfair thing to ask a woman because why why are we getting Botox? Mm, yeah. You know, by and large, we're getting Botox because we want our skin to look smoother and we want our skin to look younger. Mm. And why do we feel the need to do this well, like it or not, it's because everywhere we turn, we are told that aging is a really bad idea for women. Mm. It's everywhere. There is no magazine you can pick up. There is no TV ad that you can watch. Everywhere we look, we are told that aging is a bad idea for women. And that's backed up by research. Mm. Scarily, um, statistically, women hit their salary peak at 39. Which means that statistically speaking, I've already peaked in salary, which terrifies me. Mm. Absolutely. I didn't figure out what I wanted to be. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. So the data, the statistics, the evidence, the social messaging is telling me that getting older is a really, really bad idea. Mm. So but you're trying to now shame me for wanting to fight against that. Mm.
0: That's... Well, it's the thing that we were talking about earlier that you were saying about feeling like you shouldn't, like it's too shallow to care about, you know, whatever your mother body and Absolutely. all this stuff. You know, you're not meant to fall for this stuff. You're not meant to do these things because you're meant to just get on with it. So you're ashamed for doing what society keeps telling you to do, basically. But it's, it's That's exactly, it's it. tricky, isn't it? Like, it is. I've been naive. <laughs> Bear with me. Um, I think about maybe a couple of years ago or so uh, was the first time that a friend of mine who I share a lot of views with and who's a feminist said in passing that she'd use Botox. Um, and I kind of went, mm. oh, oh, really? And then I kind of started realizing that um, th- this is not something that's very unusual. This is something that people do. And you mentioned that you wanted to get it done. Um, And then Louise McSharry had a story um, recently Mm. where she was talking about being given a a deal or something. And people were questioning that. And she was saying, well, look, the main thing is that I'm showing you here before and after. I've told you that I've done it so people know what they're getting. You know, this is what you're looking at. Um, And at the same time, I'm sitting here going, but i almost disappointed, feeling like I thought we were in this together. I thought we were fighting that bad guy. I thought we weren't succumbing to this, if you know what I mean. And... And at the same time, I'm looking at myself going, oh, wait a minute, but I'm shaving my legs and I'm wearing makeup. So am I just a hypocrite then? You know, where do we draw the line? What's okay and what's not? And I don't expect of all my feminist friends to to be feminist in every single action they do. I'm not. And it's it would be unrealistic and unfair to expect that of anyone. And at the same time, I'm going, well, okay." so I'm walking around town and I don't know anymore how many of these people have had Botox. So uh, the more people who get it, the more my extremely um, expressive mm. face is going to look exceptionally strange and old. <laughs> so I'm going to be left on my own here looking ancient and not getting a pay rise. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's,
1: and I think I'm going to hazard a guess and say that there will be a lot of people who share what you are feeling. And it's funny that you use the word hypocrite because that's something that's that's popped up a. a good few times and I, I, I will push against the word hypocrite because in this situation what would be hypocritical I feel what would be hypocritical would be for us to engage in behaviours that directly and intently oppress other people mm. but what we're trying to do with our beauty behaviours is still trying to strive for equality we're not doing this to get ahead of the men. We're trying to do this to be considered equal to men. Mm. And that to me isn't hypocritical. That's us trying to fight for what we deserve mm. in line with what men get. Because you know, we know, again, there's evidence to show that salary, there's a direct correlation with an increase in salary and personal grooming. Mm -hmm. Not just looking good. So it's interesting for women. It's not just that a woman has to be naturally pretty. It's that she has to be groomed pretty. Mm. Mm. You know, and that's. Oh, that's 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 the the difference. So, no, I, I will push back on the hypocrisy of Botox. And I'll say, no, what I'm trying to what I'm doing is not hypocritical of me. What I'm trying to do is align myself with men of similar age or status who will. Otherwise, by virtue of the fact that they are their gender get treated better than I do. Mm. And I'm not going to apologize for wanting to be treated equal. Now, what I can also do is try in my own way to, you know, systematically disassemble, you know, the patriarchal capitalist ideologies that govern our societies. Mm. But I can't do everything. I can do those two things in, in you know, side by side, Mm-hmm. But I also have myself to think of, my family to think of. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to apologize for wanting to have a career that's successful and, and achieve my dreams,
0: et cetera, et cetera. Mm. I want to get to the um the, yeah. the kind of family side of things and talking to children about this shortly, but mm. but just on, on what you're saying, um so I'm one hundred percent with you that I understand that we like I, I don't think we can penalize or shame women for doing what we're constantly told to do. um, yeah. I had feminist, uh, a feminist man in one situation kind of suggesting that whatever makeup or something was a bit oh, shallow and awful or something. And I was just thinking, do you know what? If I'm going to spend all my time and energy walking around outside conscious of the fact that I am not fitting in with how I'm meant to look, or I can slap on a little bit of makeup, then you're not you don't get to tell me that that's wrong um but does it ever end so we put on makeup we shave our legs we spend all our money on this we spend shit loads of time on this um, we end up having plastic surgery all these things that we're doing um for how long can we play ball without burning everything down <laughs> I think we need a pint for that one. Yeah, I think that's, you know,
1: <laughs> is it ever going to end? Not as long as, not as long as we're living under the the current structures that we do. As long as capitalist patriarchy keeps telling us what the ideal beauty is for women, we're never really, we're no, never going to be released from its strangleholds. Mm. That is ultimately, that's the bottom line. You know, we can't. Let's you know capitalism is all about making money largely off others, and for as long as we're under the thumb of the beauty industry the wellness industry the anti aging industry and we're talking about billions upon billions upon billions of dollars here mm. the messaging's never gonna go away um the only choice I think that we really have is is figuring out how much or how little we're we're willing to buy into us and that's a really tough thing for one person to shoulder and you know, I think that feminism is going to be about supporting each other's choice in how much we decide to buy into us, mm. not about castigating each other or shaming each other mm. for how strong you are again, you know, in the in the face of capitalism. There are inroads being made. There was, I know when I talked about the body hair issue, we are seeing a reduction in numbers of women who shave frequently yeah. Um the numbers are coming down let's not forget that certainly I, and you're, you're even younger than me, you know, I grew up with, um, my goodness, the, what's that, the George Michael video freedom, you know, with all of the supermodels, Mm. those were the body ideals that I grew up with, which was then closely followed by heroin chic, you know, so my idea of, of body image is very different to, somebody who's now in their teens or, you know, Gen Z who see a different type of body image, you know, the Mm. smaller waist, the big butt. So that is constantly being dictated by capitalism like this, the the images of of body ideals are are changing constantly. So we're never really going to be released from that, but we do get to choose where we are most comfortable within that. Mm. And so, you know, while I have decided to have Botox, There are plenty of women out there who are perfectly happy not getting it, and it's that's okay. There is room for all of us, but let's not shame each other for Mm. the decisions that we make in regard to that.
0: And I suppose as well that that it's we have different um, willingness or capacity, whatever you want to call it, for uh, for making certain decisions. I might not be perfectly happy with my wrinkly face or whatever as I age. I don't know. I don't think that I'm ever going to be getting Botox, but that doesn't mean like why that is or why I'm making that decision. It's all, you know, it's in the context of all kinds of other different you know, privileges and whatever you want to call it. And, I suppose this is the thing as well. We're not going to uh, put the world to rights fully today, maybe. I mean, there are so many aspects to this <laughs> from the the body size privilege you were talking about earlier to, I mean, it's a class issue as well. There are a lot of people who oh. might actually really mm. want to get Botox, but would never in a million years be able to afford it. And then I suppose you're, you're talking about the bigger issue of... Okay, so women are already earning less than men, um, and mm-hmm. then you need to get Botox and spend your money in order to keep your salary ticking. Uh, and then, if you don't have that money in the first place, you're losing out even more. So it's yeah. Oh, there are a lot is, of layers.
1: There are so many. This is a very convoluted, very um, multi-layered conversation for sure. And this is mm. this is not going to apply to everybody, you know, out there definitely. Um, I mean, it, it comes back in just what you're saying about if, if you decide not to get Botox, the feminist choice that I can make in all of this is to not judge you for that decision. Mm. That's, that's how we can make our feminist choice around these issues. Mm. Um, and likewise, you know, on the different layers is we can actively seek out more information to inform ourselves as to what the different layers of the conversation is and the class mm. issue would be a huge one. Um, mm. A race issue is another absolutely huge one involved absolutely, in this. Yeah. So there's, you know, the, the, the person, there, there's, there's actually a couple of personal choices we can make. One, we can make a personal choice not to judge other people within our within our immediate and wider circles about the choices they make. Mm. Um, and we can also empower ourselves with more information and, and acknowledge where it is we fit inside these conversations. Um, and don't be like your male
0: feminist friends and, you
1: know, stay in your lane.
0: <laughs> um, You've been very good at talking to children about science on your Instagram channel. Ooh. Um, How do you talk to your super cool daughter about these issues and about body image and shaving and whatnot? I mean, I know I have been in the shower and the boys have walked in as I am shaving my underarms and there have been conversations and it's not without me feeling very conflicted about what the hell I'm doing and what I'm teaching them about women's bodies yeah absolutely and
1: I do kind of come back to my science roots a little bit um in that the, the lovely thing about science is that it doesn't have judgments inherent in it. you know it just is science is it is what it is we're the ones who interpret elements of it and we place prejudices and biases around it etc so it's on a need to know basis um with my daughter so she's six now and I'll never forget it last year when she started going to school she went to juniors and she was just gone five that that summer. So she was still small enough and completely out of blue one day on the way to school. She just turned around and said, mummy, where do babies come from? Where do babies come from? And now I was not prepared. She's five. She's five. Mm. What's going on? I panicked. I blind panicked. So I said, what, what's the right thing to say? What do we do? The thing is, is that kids are really curious. They're really, really mm. curious by nature. And they will ask a million questions. And they, the only perspective they're coming at it from is... What is this? Why? What is this and why? They don't need to know all the details that, you know, that are rushing around in our head as we're trying to scramble together at this answer that won't torture them for years to come. So you can just be honest within reason, not within reason, but be honest and be age appropriate is the phrase I'm looking for. Um, And so for things like body hair, it's funny, that one hasn't come up yet. I guess when that conversation does come up, it'll be about saying that body hair is really, really normal. But some people choose to remove theirs. And Mm. that's that. You Mm. know, I think we can sometimes fall into the trap as parents of wanting to rationalize things, wanting Mm. to explain and wanting to give the reasons.
0: They don't need
1: reasons. They just want an answer.
0: Mm. How do we wrap up a conversation like this? I almost feel as if you're the, you're the kind of the teacher, the public speaker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we've, we've been through the journey of difficulties with food, weightlifting, giving birth, the belly, all that stuff, Botox. Where do we end? What's the takeaway for you
1: personally? What's the takeaway for me? Holy moly. I'm 40. You know, I have made more mistakes than I care to consider. But here I am and I'm still learning and I'm still figuring it out. And I wish that we were able to give each other more freedom to do that and, you know, give each other the gentleness to figure that stuff out. I know I still I, I am still consider myself so lucky that I went through my formative years not being exposed to social media and that I only had my first Facebook mm. account when I was 27. I was given the freedom to make so many mistakes without it being recorded or plastered all over social media mm. Um. I wish I hope that we can move towards a, a, a community where making mistakes is allowed again. I made them I've made so many of them around all of the above topics and continue to make mistakes around all of the above topics. Um, and I wish we were able to talk about these mistakes more with each other and just mm. get it out there. Maybe maybe this is somewhere to start, I don't know.
0: That was Gillian Roddy on Bits of me. I feel like I need to say that this conversation could, and perhaps should, have gone on for another hour after we stopped. I have personally been thinking a lot about the things we talked about, and I'll write a blog post about some of it very soon. Meanwhile, you'll find some of the polls and discussions we mentioned on Jill's Instagram at Evidentially you, where she also shares a huge amount of interesting, informative content on everything from immunology and biology to feminism, hormones and sexual health. If you like this podcast, please take a second to rate it and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening.